Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. Now here's your host, Brad Larson. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us here on the Property Management Mastermind podcast. Be sure to check out our website at propertymanagementmastermind.com, where you will find all of our episodes, products, and services to review to include our newly launched BizDev Mastermind offering, which is consulting services for companies looking to hire and grow using a business development manager. You can visit that site at bizdevmastermind.com. In addition, I wanted to announce the Property Management Mastermind Annual Conference going on in Las Vegas, March 234 at the Mirage Hotel in 2020. Visit the website at pmmcon.com. If you sign up for the conference and both add-on seminars, you'll get a 10% discount. I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Lastly, be sure to find us on Facebook to join the conversation of over 6,000 members in the Property Management Mastermind Facebook group. Tenants not changing their air filters? Costly HVAC repairs and unhappy owners got you down? Filter Easy is a subscription air filter delivery service that solves this problem by shipping filters directly to the tenant's front door when it's time to change. Tenants actually change them, which reduces HVAC-related maintenance calls by an average of 30%. Filter Easy's no-cost-use solution functions as a profit center to give you back time and money. Call 1-800-308-1186 today to learn more. Property Meld is made for maintenance work automation. Property Meld will work to schedule, remind, verify completion, and follow up with your residents automatically while providing the best-in-class communication system for your ease of use, your vendors, and your tenants. Begin reducing maintenance coordination time and increasing tenant satisfaction today. Learn more at propertymeld.com. Hey everyone, in today's episode, I've got Casey Powers on the line coming out of Las Vegas, Nevada. And we're going to be talking about the iBuyers, such as Open Door, OfferPad, Purple Bricks, and a few others, and kind of some of the things that are working around that. In addition, we get into the Amazon and Zillow happenings. And Casey's done some really good work for us here to kind of give us a perspective of what's going on out in the marketplace. And she's going to be delivering a secret shopper to us. So let's take a listen. And welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Property Management Mastermind Show. I'm your host, Brad Larson. And today's guest, I have Miss Casey Powers in the line. And Casey is coming out of Las Vegas. And she has been doing some interesting things with basically going to be our secret shopper. So I saw, <laughs> I saw a post on Facebook and I said, Casey, please come on the show. I really want to talk to you about this stuff because this is of extreme interest to a lot of the other property management company owners out there or property management individuals for what you're talking about, because it all ties into the nature of owning and buying and selling real estate. And so to kind of backtrack a little bit, I want to give you an intro, uh, a chance to introduce yourself. So please, Miss Casey Powers, say hello and tell us about yourself real quick. Hi, I'm Casey Powers um, uh, from Strawberry Realty slash Strawberry Property Management, as as Brad said, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I have been a property manager for a bit over three years. I started as my own landlord in 2011. 
Um, I bought my first property at that time and then 2012 and 2013. Um, I am really interested in, you know, the changes in the market and the way things are going and um, just how um, in particular the iBuyers and such are changing the market because as we know, all new changes in the market when a, a large entity enters the market that changes the way things are done, right? Correct. And I really think this is going to be a great topic because uh, you volunteered. I asked you, of course, I begged you to come on. I said, look, Casey, you did some really good stuff. You went to a seminar on these buyers, and you had some great comments on Facebook. And I thought this would be a good episode because I want to learn more. So this is self-serving for me. I want to learn more about this and I need to kind of pick your brain on it. And so okay. I want you to talk more about the background of where you were to kind of get in, get into the information seeking that you saw. So this gives some people some context. So Back up one more step. You and I have been real estate agents for a long time. At least I've been a real estate agent since 2003, been a broker since 2005. I've sold, you know, I don't know how many different homes, you know, I've been a broker that sells homes. So I've, I've got a really good experience on buying and selling homes. And so now we see a new player come into the market, which is these I buyer type concepts. So I want you to take it from there and kind of tell us how you got into being a secret shopper for this. Well, um, I basically just saw an ad for this seminar that was put on by one of the other um, top real estate brokers in town. And uh, it was, I didn't know that an iBuyer rep was going to be there, but it was advertising, you know, how to work with iBuyers and, you know, how to deal with the changing market um, as a result of all the iBuyers. And I don't know if, if everyone knows, but the iBuyers, are very heavily in the Las Vegas market. And um, from the from any information that I can gather, they are buying up a significant market share in Las Vegas. Um, One thing we're going to want to clarify, and so do your best to do this for us. Can you define what an iBuyer is for us? So the iBuyers are the companies like Open Door, OfferPad. Um, I think Purple Bricks is another one. They're, they're the ones that advertise, we'll buy your home quickly for cash, um, close whenever you want. Um, and typically, you know, they're, at least here, they're advertising on the radio very heavily and in um, social media and internet ads. And they operate a bit differently from your typical cash buyer or wholesale cash buyer does. So let's kind of stumble through this. So I'm going to try and throw my limited experience in this down, and then maybe you can kind of correct me or steer me in the right direction. So the the I buyer is like an open door offer pad, purple bricks type of a cash investor. So they come into a potential seller and say, rather than you selling on the open market where you have to deal with showings and make readies and repairs and contracts and lenders and then contracts falling out and inspections, uh, I'm just going to make you an offer right now, and we're going to close in two weeks. Kind of, is that how that works roughly? Keep going on this. That's that's pretty much how it works um, um, with the exception that according to the Open Door uh, representative, they seem to be, tar- they're apparently targeting specific neighborhoods, which are easy to comp. Um, so not every homeowner's property will, will fit their qualifications, so to speak, um, versus the traditional cash investment buyer um, typically would, would buy probably anywhere in any type of property as long as, it, as long as the numbers work. Okay. So they're cherry picking. So they're going to the, 
to the KB neighborhoods, the Pultis, the Centexes, the you name big builder. And they're saying, okay, well, there's 10 or 50 of your homes in that neighborhood. I can comp this pretty easily. So if your home really should have been selling for 300 potentially in the open market, uh, do they have a formula for what they're offering? You know, let's say it was a three hundred dollar would be a retail price, or three hundred thousand would be a retail price. So are they kind of gauging it lower than that? What are you seeing? Um, what we're seeing here is they seem they seem to be offering um, approximately market prices for the homes that they buy, but according to the Open Door Rep. Um, they charge a six to twelve percent service fee, which is obviously significantly more than the the average real estate agent charges. Um, I think the typical max on a real estate agent is six percent, right? Um, with discounts can be a lot less. And on top of the service fee, they also <clears throat> excuse me, they also will do an inspection. And this is not unlike a traditional real estate sale where you go into contract, you do an inspection, and then the buyer um, may ask for certain repairs or credits for those repairs, right? That's not terribly, um, that's not all that different. But the iBuyers, um, according to the open door rep who was at this event, are apparently offering a retail or excuse me, requiring a retail repair credit based on what they think a retail buyer would um, request. So to me, that says they're, they're requiring a very high repair credit, which translates to a large discount on the price after it goes into contract. I would think that's a little bit of a conflict of interest, wouldn't you? Well, it, it does look like that to me, in my personal opinion, because the you know, when you compare it to a, to a traditional sale where both buyer and seller are represented by their own agents and the buyer's agent may recommend, you know, let's ask for these repairs based on what was found in the inspection. And then the seller's agent will advise them um, on how to negotiate that better. Um, and then they come to whatever agreement they come to. In the iBuyer model, the iBuyer says, we want these repairs, take it or leave it. And it's not that they that they uh, require the seller to make those repairs. It's that they demand this number for a repair credit, take it or leave it, that's it. And the, the seller in that case does not have an agent to advise them on what might be a better deal or to help them negotiate a better deal. I see some serious flaws in that because... When you start running as an intermediary, uh, there are some real pitfalls along with that because they, you're basically going to a consumer who doesn't know any better. And so you're not giving them an honest opinion. So as an iBuyer, are they a licensed agent? Um, the Open Door rep said that they own a licensed real estate brokerage in every state in which they operate. So from that, I would assume that the other iBuyers also are using brokerages but to quote the the open door rep, um, it, he's an agent. He said, and um, he said, open door is my only client. <laughs> so, you know, obviously they are working for their i buyer client, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing just in itself. You know, every every real estate agent works for their client and not the other party. Um, 
But the difference with this model is the consumers are going to them totally unrepresented and they're beholden to the iBuyer's terms and they don't really get to negotiate. It's either this is what this is what we offer, take it or leave it, that's it. Yeah, I still think it, it works fine there, but I got a couple of issues with it. Uh, first, do they ever present what's real market value to that particular seller? Mr. Um, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, here's our real market value, what we think uh, your home is actually worth today, because that's what we would have to do as agents under our code of ethics as realtors, is we have to present them with a, what we attribute to be a fair market estimate for the home to at least an educated guest. So that $300,000 home, oh, that's only worth 200000 It's only worth 200000 you know, right. That, that's misrepresentation so, almost. Um, the iBuyers are not unlike the, you know, traditional um, wholesale buyer, cash buyer, in the sense that they're obviously looking to get the best deal possible for themselves, right? They're looking to buy the property at the at, as low as they can. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But um, from what I have gathered from talking to some other agents who actually went through this process on their own is, um, or they had some of their clients go through the process and they got to see what actually happened was um, the iBuyer presents what they call a side-by-side comparison and what they're presenting to the, to the seller as what they think would be an open market value is apparently a quite deflated price. Um, and then of course, they tack on what what they determine are the realtor fees and closing costs, um, which may not actually reflect what typically happens in a traditional um, agent assisted deal. Yeah, I think and then of course and then of course they're you know they're given their their numbers and um, I guess painting a, a yeah. picture to make it look like it's a better deal than what it is. Here's how it's gonna roll. So that $300,000 home that's worth $300,000 all day long, they're going to say, yep, this home's only going to worth be two seventy five dollars at max, two seventy five dollars at the highest. If it's fixed up perfect with gold toilets and everything else, two seventy five. dollars Oh, and then you have your realtor costs. So that's another 6% or X percent, whatever it's going to be. And so really you're going to net for fun two sixty. And there, And then they, the side next to comparison is that, well, here's your offer for $265,000 cash. So it is a little well, bit, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's just my outside opinion of how that would work. Uh, what are you seeing over there from the folks that have gone through some of this experience? So um, what we're seeing here is the offer price may be very close to market price. So if the market value of the house is 300000 then they might offer something very close to that. They might even offer 300 possibly even a little bit more, but... Um, their service fee is six to twelve percent. So if you average that and say nine percent, okay, um, you're knocking off twenty seven grand out of that three thousand right there, or three hundred thousand. Um, and then once they do an inspection and come back with the repair credit, the repair credit that they require might be thirty thousand. So that's knocking it down even more. Um, so you might end up selling the three hundred thousand dollar house for two forty three. And what gets recorded on the transfer and on the county records is the $300,000 contract price. So it looks like it's getting sold for $300,000 and it's not. That doesn't help the comps. That does not help the market at all. Mm -hmm. Well, it 
keeps the comps high. Um, it makes it look like, you know, they're staying right in the comp value, which obviously is going to affect the iBuyer's ability to uh, potentially borrow on that property, potentially borrow more than they paid for it. Um, and, you know, I don't have personal experience with this. So this is the, you know, my extrapolation, of course. But um, this, the other thing that it does is when the public tries to do research and they go and say, well, um, you know, this company bought my neighbor's house for 300000 and Zillow says it's worth three twelve. So it looks like they got a pretty good deal, right? But what they don't realize until they go and sign that contract with the iBuyer is the iBuyer greatly reduces that price before the deal is actually done. Let's talk about impact. That's one of the things I had on my list because you kind of got through a good explanation there. I think the numbers, uh, I, I was a little off in my assumptions of what they would potentially buy a home for. But what do you think is the impact? And let's talk all facets. So we have impact on realtors, impact on the market as buyers and sellers. And then you have impact on us as property managers. Because that's one thing we do want to talk about is how can this impact us either positively or negatively as a property management owner, property management company owner. So kind of tell me what you think the impact of all this has. And let's start with the, the, the real estate community out there. Well, <laughs> of course, in the real estate community, um, as, a, as an agent, it makes it a bit more difficult to compete for seller's attention um, when you're competing with a, you know, a, a cash buyer advertising on the radio and, and saying, oh, we'll buy your home for cash, we'll buy it real quick, we'll close in you know, a week or two or whatever date you want. Um, we'll make it so easy. You don't have to deal with showings. You know, you, oh, the, <laughs> the paperwork. You don't have to deal with the paperwork. <laughs> um, and, you know, the traditional agents are having a hard time competing with that because to deal with the traditional method, the buyer or the sellers have to deal with showings. And um, that's not the most pleasant thing always. And you quote the, you quote the paperwork because they're running these obnoxious ads where people are whining about, oh my God, the paperwork, I can't stand it. They, right. The ads make it sound like the paperwork is just so terrible. And the one of the ads that I hear on the radio here all the time is, oh, the showings and oh, the paperwork. It gets highly dramatized as if the paperwork is so horrible when in reality, most of the paperwork is signed online. Sure. And then they're doing paperwork anyway with uh, the iBuyer. So it's just yes, how it goes. Yes. Yes. They're going to have to do a bunch of paperwork for the iBuyers too. That's um, interesting. So the, the impact on that, obviously realtors are not going to be too, super excited about it. Burning question is what are they doing with these homes once they buy them? I don't know. Um, the According to the bit of data that I could find and, you know, this is, it's real hard to get this kind of data, but the best I could come up with is open door, um, the, the open door rep said that they're buying about 100 homes a month in Las Vegas. Um, and they've been doing this for however many months now. And um, apparently the iBuyers in general have um, accounted for about 20% of the Las Vegas sales market in the past year or so. And about 30 to 40% of the um, real estate market here in Las Vegas under 400k. So their their target um, property is 
up to about half a million, but really their main target is between two and four hundred thousand um, dollars for properties. And in you know easy to comp neighborhoods, the the cookie cutter you know, tract housing neighborhoods, um, where they they all look alike and set similar floor plans and all that. So what do you think they're doing with them? Are they turning them into rentals? Are they uh, flipping them? Uh, it's, it seems like they're mostly flipping them now. Um, so, you know, if you if you manage to get a, a three hundred thousand dollar house for two forty or two fifty or, or even two sixty, you can turn around and sell it for three hundred or or even maybe a little bit less, um, and you know, easily make a, a nice little profit on that. Um, yeah, quite quickly. Yeah, and practically no time at all. They could make 10, 20 grand at right. home. It's easy to see how, you know, with just replication, you can make quite a bit of money on that. And the initial investment um, really isn't all that much. You can just keep reusing the same money. Yeah, so they're taking a pool of capital and going out and buying a bunch of homes. And if they're doing 100 a month, and let's say they make 10,000 for fun, uh, 10,000 net profit after all the BS. Per home times a hundred. Well, that's a pretty good chunk. You know, that's a hundred thousand right. a month, and that could right. be a couple. You know, a million plus a year. Who knows what other ways they're generating? You know, methods to make money, and then that's well, paying back the capital they're borrowing to do all this. Right, and one of the things that um, that was pointed out in the meeting is, you know, the method of recording the offer price and not the actual price paid for the property it keeps the comps up so that um, if they want to borrow on it, they can borrow potentially more than what they paid for the, for the house to go turn around and use that to buy more properties. And, you know, money is cheap right now. And so it's a, a real cheap way to buy up a lot of market share in the, in the real estate market. So this could be cyclical to a certain extent to where the money's cheap and they can go out and get the money and go buy stuff. The market turns, naturally, things are going to be tougher to sell, which means they could explode, but their money won't be as cheap. The money will go cost more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can see, I don't know where well, those, those, the properties that they're holding could turn into rentals by a same. Yeah. And so they're going to probably put those into the, into the pool of rental market. They probably will want to manage it themselves. Most likely some of these big, you know, they'll bring their own team in and manage it themselves. They're not going to come to third party managers like you and I. Uh, so that's, that's not a good thing. You know, that's. Well, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't pose such a great uh, prospect for you and I, because it, it's potentially cutting out, a, you know, a lot of the, the normal um, small time investors who are our clients. Right. Um but also in terms of the public, um, if these companies own a large portion of market share, they can manipulate the rental market, of course, to their advantage, which doesn't necessarily benefit the public always. Um, they can, you know, determine rental prices in their target neighborhoods and, and such and um, maybe be less subject to rules that we are. Yeah, that's scary. Um Boy, that can be a little bit scary because if I mean, you know, I'm speculating, obviously, but these are all real potential things that can happen. Well, yeah, if they own a hundred homes in a neighborhood, and the average rental price is going for fifteen, and they say, "Heck with it, we're going to come in at thirteen, we're going to steal the best tenants from everybody, 
uh, and then they're running 100 or $200 less than the nearest comparables, they're going to snatch up all the good renters. Uh, but if they don't need to like make a profit, it could get pretty pretty ugly for the rest of us. Um, mm-hmm. And that's going to lower the comps for the rest of the market. So the owners that we represent, they're going to have a tougher time to get that that normal fifteen hundred bucks, for example, and they're only going to be able to get what the i buyers have set or i managers at this point uh, what they've set mm-hmm. for the rental market. So that's scary stuff. Now, right? Did you see any sort of government regulation they had to overcome? Like, is is there any sort of like we got around this requirement for doing this and we got around that requirement for doing that. Did you see anything that they mentioned when you were at this uh, seminar? No. Okay. Um, I didn't hear about any sort of regulation that they, they needed to overcome. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, 10, 15 years ago when the, when the crazy loans were being sold, there weren't really any regulations to be overcome at that time either. Sure. Um, so, I mean, they yeah. get, to get through the licensing requirements, which which may or may not be, you know, you could make the argument of a, kind of a conflict of interest there. You know, you might be violating the code of ethics, but, you know, it's going to be very difficult to prove and no one's going to call them out on it because they'll just lawyer up and beat the crap out of somebody. The sad part is to call somebody out with a code of ethics violation on any sort of board of realtors is you have to stand up in front of them like a Spanish inquisition and say, I accuse you, Casey, of having glasses on today. And then you, have, you get to defend yourself in open forum. That's how an ethics violation would work. So no one's going to go do that against a giant like that, where they're just going to lawyer up and just kick the crap out of you uh, in that forum. So what do you, what are we left to do as regular real estate agents? All we can really do is educate our particular sellers on some of the, the pitfalls of this. So let's, let's role play a little bit. Let's say I'm a seller, Casey, I just had an interview with iBuyer. For that three hundred thousand dollar home, uh, they want to offer me two hundred eighty thousand, and uh, you know they're going to charge me a ten percent commission. But I can sell this puppy tomorrow and be done in two weeks. What would Casey say? Well, um, the point that was that was brought up a few times in the seminar I went to is that as an agent, we can compete with that by simply um, partnering with our own local cash buyers who, you know, there's lots of those around. I know there's a ton of them here in Las Vegas um, who are always looking to buy property. And number one, the typical um, cash investor, especially the wholesale cash investors, they don't typically skip over neighborhoods um, like the iBuyers do, or at least not as much. Um, And so, you know, we can obviously deal in those um, those fields and also if to my knowledge the typical cash buyer doesn't go and say uh, yeah I'll offer you 300000 for your house and then do an inspection and come back and, and want to reduce the price by 30 grand or, or however much it is they usually just say how much they want to pay and that's it right mm-hmm. that's right um, or they come so back with a list if, of repairs if we're that- partnering with someone like that we can just go and say, okay, I have a cash buyer partner who is willing to buy your house and they can close, you know, in a week or two and they'll offer you, um, you know, a reasonable price or we can put it on the market and, you know, do your net sheet. This is what I believe your home is worth and what you can potentially um, take home on the open market after closing costs and fees and such. Um, It'll take a little bit longer, you know, 
I can help you in both of these ways. And the, you know, my cash buyer partner is not going to jerk you around by saying, you know, I'll pay this much and then change the price later. They'll just tell you what they want to pay and that's it. Um, so, you know, we can, we can, there's no reason we can't do that. <laughs> so um, is that what you're doing? Are you looking for the active cash buyer that you can come up with a system and say, here's the Casey system. And so you are looking at iPod and iBuyer and let's say it's open door or offer pad or purple bricks. And you come back and say, well, I've got the same exact thing. So that offer that you're looking at where you net walk away with 250,000, I can do this for you the exact same way and and offer you a net of a little bit higher or 255 mm-hmm. whatever it's going to be. So they're telling exactly. you that's the formula. Exactly. Your your local cash buyer can probably pay more in the end than what the i buyers are are um, apparently paying. Okay, so that that local cash buyer they do it, they they execute on the the deal and they get it closed, then what? Are they going to keep it as a rental and then you're going to manage it? That's a pretty good way to actually acquire some um, you you could certainly do that, um, or you know if 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 the buyer just wants to flip, well, you know obviously your cash buyer <clears throat> is probably gonna gonna offer you a, a some kind of finder's fee for bringing the deal, right, or some type of commission you might you might represent that seller. Um, so Casey, in here, the deal as well. Here's one to think of. So, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have the cash on hand here at my company. Uh, mm-hmm. we're getting, through I don't either. <laughs> However, we're hear me out where I'm going with this is how do we get to that point? How do we say, how do we go get a line of credit from a bank? How do we line ourselves up for, a, for a, a loans? I mean, a lot of us potentially could drop 20%, you know, here or there as we start to build our resources, or we could partner with somebody that could lend us a down payment and we can go. What are your thoughts on that? What have you thought of so far? I think get hooked up with some of your local investors. Okay. Um, that's, that's what I've, started to work on myself is, you know, go and make friends with your local investors and partner up with them. And if they're looking to buy rentals, go help them do that. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of just, you know, letting the properties go to the I buyers who are flipping or whatever they're doing, go, go help out your local investors and help them acquire properties, which is what they want to do. And, in turn, get yourself um, more properties that you can manage or just partner up with them in some sort of equity partnership deal, whatever. Yeah. One of our challenges in our market is we see a lot of reluctant landlords and then they come around and say, okay, I want to sell. And then we talk with them right now. If we, and the market is so hot right now, I mean, still here and we may see it cool off in the latter part of this year, but uh, the market has been so hot that even if we say we're going to potentially take the home off your hands with an investor or we're going to buy it at a reduced price. There's a lot of them have been saying, nah, we'll go on the open market. And these things have been selling. They've been getting multiple offers for higher than list price. Uh, I could tell you story after story. I've posted them on the Facebook page and we're seeing that. And so we really just kind of, we're waiting on the sidelines here a little bit to see, okay, if the market starts to slow down a little bit, maybe we like, you know, Rentworks can start acquiring some more of these properties. We're also been working on the pocket listing concept and that's been running for 18 months, potentially taking that same exact seller that you and I just talked about with the iBuyer to say, okay, instead of you selling it to an iBuyer, let us package this and put it out to our investor community. So it's kind of like the same concept um, because you're trying to put it in front of your investors, but you're not really calling it a cash deal uh, because you're just trying to sell that without having to, to kick the tenant out 
because yeah. that's that's one of the things that these iBuyers may have a challenge with, that this tenant-occupied home, maybe they can or cannot get close to the numbers that somebody else could because they may not know the information they need to know. Uh, whereas you could potentially pocket that home with a with a tenant. It's got a lease agreement. It's got a management company already in place. You could package that and say, okay, Mr. I seller, right? You're looking at the iBuyer concept. Let me take that same exact home, put it out to my investors, see who wants to buy that thing with a tenant already occupying it, and then mm -hmm. try and go from there. Uh, is there any rule of thumb? I'm getting to a question. Is there any rule of thumb? Are they selling only vacant homes, buying only vacant homes or buying owner-occupied homes? Are they even touching the tenant-occupied homes? What are you seeing? I don't think they're limiting it to any occupancy type. Um, if it has a, a tenant or if it has, certainly they're willing to buy um, owner-occupied. A, uh, um, a lot of the owner-occupied homes that they're buying, the homeowner just doesn't want to deal with showings and, and such. And um, for either they need to move and so they need to get it sold and they don't want to deal with the stress of putting it on the market and such. Um, or they just don't like the idea of having it on the market for a long time for whatever reason. But the fact that these companies are buying as many homes as they are here is telling me that there is a large market for this type of seller. There are a lot of people selling their homes this way. Conven and convenient sellers. You know, yes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like we've talked about previously is people will pay a premium for convenience. And in this case, they'll take less money for their house and a lot less even um, for the idea of convenience. So we can, we can go after those sellers. We just need to do it in a way that's actually competitive with those iBuyers instead of just trying to, trying to continue to convince people, oh, you, you know, put it on the market. This is the better way. The traditional way is better. A lot of people just don't think it's better anymore. So we need to compete. <laughs> well, they have a point. So to hear a horror story on kind of why this happens if you're not, if you're, if you're out there thinking, why would anybody do this? Well, let me tell you a story. So you might've seen a Facebook post from us a while back. We had, uh, it was early June. We just got out of school, took the kids to the beach. We had a property that was listed for one fifty, I believe it was no kidding. We had 30 offers that weekend, three zero offers, 30 written offers. We took the best and highest offer that would made a lot of sense. I think it went under contract for 10 grand more than list price. And then guess what happened? They bailed the last week. They bailed the last week of the contract. So it sat on the market vacant for, sat off the market, excuse me, for 45 days waiting for these clowns to close on a conventional deal and it fell through. Okay. And that was a conventional 20% down, mm -hmm. good, solid, approved buyers. And it just, it just fell through for no reason because some of the job changed with the wife that was all this other junk. So that horror story turns those sellers into hearing stuff like that through the interworld or whatever. They're like, and they don't, don't want, they don't want to put up with it. Exactly. They don't want to do any of that. They don't want to put up with the repairs. They don't want to put up with any of that junk. So I get it. They're moving mm -hmm. towards that way. Before we transition to a couple of different other things, I want you to, you know, is there anything else you want to tell us about the iBuyer concept? Cause I know you want to talk about a couple other things too. <laughs> I think we've, we've pretty much covered it. Um, you know, obviously, people who are our companies, should I say, who are buying this much market share are definitely going to change the market, whether we like it or not. And so, you know, we need to figure out how to compete 
and stay relevant or get left behind. <laughs> well, when you come up with some solutions, update the group, because I'm sure we'd all like to kind of hear how you're, how you work in this. Uh, the concept of go find your own cash investor, <laughs> it's not as easy as it sounds. No, it's not, but I do think it's a valid um, approach and certainly a way that, you know, that we can go ahead and compete in that market and compete side by side with the iVirus too. Yeah, I agree. It's almost like you got to put together a whole new business model. Yeah, scary stuff. So let's take 10 seconds. I'm going to grab a real quick drink. Don't go away. We're not cutting out the live just yet. Stand by. Choose Seacoast Commerce Bank as your property management bank of choice. Seacoast Commerce Bank specializes in trust accounts and business banking for property managers. One of their best features is a cash analysis program where they can assist in paying your property management related invoices. Contact Allison at 619-988-6708 to learn more. And be sure to listen to the Property Management Mastermind Podcast, episode number 26, about Seacoast Commerce Bank. Okay, I had to go do a bunch of push-ups to, to motivate Ray Hespin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Poor Ray. Ray, I got you. I hope <laughs> make sure the editors don't cut that part out. We want that on podcast record. So Ray has agreed to the push-up challenge. The push-up challenge is eight zero eighty push-ups in a minute forty. These are good break the plane, mill spec push-ups, down to touch your chest, you know, break the plane with your shoulders, go up. 80 in those. In a minute 40. So I don't know if in you can do it or not. In a minute 40. minute 40. It's, it's pushing quite a bit. I mean, that's, that's difficult to do. But Ray Hespin said he can do it. So, okay, we'll we'll take the challenge. That's, that's a lot. There's a lot. It's going to be tough. I, I, I want to see this. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to do like a Facebook Live event. He's going to be up in South Dakota. Uh, we'll have several people filming it to make sure we see the legit number. And then we'll the, the crowd will vote. It's a yes or no. Did he complete it or did he not? Did he have a bunch of... You know, no reps in there that they don't count because he didn't break the plane. Uh, it's a challenge, Casey. So, uh, and now you're part of that PM Health Group as well, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, we like to see your posts in there. That's really neat stuff to see kind of what you're doing and your activities. Uh, it, it's motivating. There's a lot of good stories in there that are motivating yeah. to everybody. And, and you know, I, I, I don't want to say I'm one of them, but, you know, I've lost 25 pounds in the last three months just from eating right and working out and Kind of, you know, trying to focus a little bit better. But look at some of the success stories. We've got yeah. Bob Sturzel. you got Todd Orchide, you got uh, Kelly Tolleson. She's been doing some great stuff. I mean, just just great success stories. You've been seeing, I've been seeing some of your posts. Now, this is a side thing. I didn't want to get into this. Yeah, I hear you. You got to show proof, right? You got to show proof. I know you're picking on me about that already. But let's let's circle back and talk about one thing you wanted to mention, and that's the Amazon brokerage. This is something that you had uh, talked about earlier. Uh, at least when we were chatting back and forth via email. So tell me more about the Amazon brokerage and what you guys know from, from your perspective over there. Um, well, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, I'm, I'm going to mention Zillow also because Zillow just got um, their broker partnership also. So apparently they are now licensed in all 50 States. I have, I have this is what I've seen being, being, scattered around the internet. Um, and as we know, Zillow has been doing their, their rental application uh, for quite a while now. And you and I know, and most of the other property managers know that is a way for Zillow to collect um, tenant data and not just their, their basic data, but their credit information. So when Zillow runs the credit report, they've got, 
these people's credit information, they can see if these people are potentially qualified buyers or not, right? So they can market to those people as buyers. That's a great way to collect a, a huge buyer database. And so Amazon, um, apparently they're, they're doing something similar with their buyer perks offer. Um, if you use the Amazon brokerage, you get a, a, um, some Amazon credits. And I don't know the numbers on that, but I believe it's based on how much the property is worth that you bought. Um, so if you, you know, you buy a half million dollar property, you're going to get a bigger credit with Amazon. Um, so this is a way obviously for Amazon to collect a, a bunch of people's data as well. Um, and that's all fine and good. Um, well, the other thing, if I, if I may interject is mm -hmm. the Zillow thing right now, they're charging for the listings. And so yeah. we, we have just property managers are up in arms screaming. Uh, there's some, there's some board of realtors who have tried to circumvent Zillow and they've been spanked. And so ours did. So yeah. Tell me more about that. Um, so in November of 2018, uh, Galvar, which is the, the greater Las Vegas associate association of realtors, um, they announced that they were going to cut the automatic Zillow feed for listings. And then a couple of weeks later, a week or two later, they announced that they were reversing that decision. And um, from what I saw, the reason for that was all of the smaller brokers here all of a sudden found themselves unable to put their listings in Zillow, even if they wanted to. And, um, when Galvar first made the announcement that they were cutting the automatic feed, they said it was to give brokers a choice. But what Zillow did was just go to some of the, the top brokerages and offer them a deal. And they left all the smaller brokerages out. If you were, if you were below a certain threshold as a brokerage, you couldn't, you couldn't get into Zillow period. And so the smaller brokerages didn't like that. And, and, complained a lot until um, literally like a week or two later, Galvar reversed their decision and announced that they were not going to cut the feed after all. So <laughs> and so, you know, what does that, what kind of message does that send if one of the, the bigger real estate associations in the country um, goes back on their word to cut the feed from Zillow? scary because now now that we think <laughs> Zillow has more power than we ever should have given them and so a couple of things I'm thinking of okay first what are the reactions of folks and then what are they proposing to do I haven't heard any any other info on that I do know though um, because I when I first got my broker license last year and it's been just about exactly a year now um, I left the Realtor Association because I wanted to strictly focus on property management at the time and building that, that business. Um, so I wasn't in the association when this, this happened. I just heard about it. And then um, when I got my broker license, or excuse me, when I rejoined the association a few months ago, um, I realized that you have to go into a separate uh, website once you log into your um, your MLS account, you have to go into a separate website and agree to allow your listings to feed it to Zillow now. Wow. Okay. Um, 
So yeah. that can't make anybody that happy about the whole thing. Well, I didn't know that and nobody told me that. I had to figure it out. <laughs> so hmm. I, I put my first listing online and it wasn't showing up on, on Zillow and it was a sales listing. Um, so I wanted it to show up on Zillow and I had to go figure out how to make it show up on Zillow. You know, I had the, the option for internet feed checked, but it still wasn't on Zillow. Um, I had to figure out why <laughs> and make it work. That's frustrating stuff because now we have implications of all the folks that are being syndicated out of automatic means, such as the MLS. And there was a discussion about syndicating out of Tenant Turner or Show Mojo or Rantley. I like to mention all three when I talk about that stuff. So mm-hmm. they're all three included. There might be syndications coming directly out of them. So now what are is Zillow charging those services that I mentioned? And those services are going to have to defer the cost to the consumer again. So property managers might be paying for it twice. I mean, geez, it's just... I don't like the whole thing. I don't think Zillow should be charging stuff like that. Uh, they make so much in advertising. They make so much in data collection. And then they turn around and say, oh, by the way, we're going to charge you in a, at a crazy amount per listing per month to list on there. Uh, I just don't see that model lasting for them very long. I mean, is that what people are thinking? Well, there? A- apparently Galvar um, thought that they would – I don't know what the what the debate was that they had with with Zillow, but you know they, there's been some history of Galvar um, negotiating with Zillow and threatening to to cut the feed if if they didn't do this or if they wouldn't do that. And in that instance, Galvar just said, "Okay, we'll cut the feed. That's it." <laughs> and then Zillow basically um, forced to the issue until Galvar went back and and turned it back on again. Yeah, they, um, made a, they made a drug deal somewhere in the background. They probably cut the price in half or they did something. Uh, you know. Well, um, it seems like if, if you're syndicating your listings through some service, whether it's your management software or um, a showing service or the MLS or whatever it is, if Zillow requires payment for that, apparently they are going to require payment no matter where you syndicate from. So you may be paying to syndicate and now you got to pay Zillow on top of it. it. To me, that just seems like just grossly unfair. Yeah. And I think that's going to, you know, somebody's going to revolt on that pretty quick. I mean, sounds like your board did some attempt at it and maybe got their way to a certain extent, but also I think on a, on a national national scale, some other players going to come in and say, advertise here for free and, you know, Zillow will eventually kind of weed themselves out by doing this. And, you know, they can't be that big. Maybe I'm just ignorant to the fact, but I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I know anytime we get into a debate about this in, in our, our Facebook groups, um, there's there's basically two camps in the property managers. And one says, oh, well, you know, Zillow has us over a barrel because they have all of the, the tenant prospects and then there's the other side that says, well, no, the tenants will go where the listings are. And I tend to fall in that latter camp of, you know, the, the consumers go to where the, where the, the product that they want is. And um, it may take a little bit of time and, and persistence, but I honestly think that if, property managers just refuse to pay Zillow, it would be a matter of weeks before the tenants would realize, oh, oh the listings are, are over here now. We just go to this other website. It, it, 
you know, it's not that difficult. Um, and as a, as a renter myself, I never limited myself to one website for searching. I always searched on multiple sites. To be determined how this is going to play out. That's a very fascinating conversation between Amazon and Zillow. And then, of course, what you're talking about with the iBuyer is great stuff. So I'm going to ask you a very unscripted, off-comment question here. So I like to ask this now and again to certain guests. Because you're a property management professional, you do this on a daily basis. What is the best thing you've done in the last 12 months to improve what you do, to improve your business? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. You throw people at, you throw this at people and they're like, I don't know. There's so many and there, there's nothing. And, and, you know, so, you know, I, I try to start this off now and again with some of the things that we've done is for example, we, you know, we hired a virtual CFO and, and his name is Phil Mazur. And this is not a plug for Phil. Okay. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I like what he does. And I also think that having somebody looking at your, at your business from the outside in, whether it's profit coach or Phil Mazur with the CFO mission, I think that's been very valuable for us. And I can't say it's the best thing we've done in the last 12 months, but it's up there. And so that's a good example just to kind of get you going on that topic. And so while I'm talking, maybe you thought of something. What do you think so far? I mean, honestly, as, as a, a newer member of the property management community, I've done so much. It's hard to, to list because I started my own brokerage a year ago. And this whole year has just been constant improvement over what I felt like I could do better than what I was doing at my old brokerage. But probably the biggest thing was just working on my systems. And I, um, some of that I, I paid Errol, um, Errol Allen. I think a, a lot of people are familiar with him. Uh, Steve Rosenberg hired him and several other people. So he helped me a lot and he, I really learned how to, how to look at my systems in a very detailed way from him. Um, and then, you know, put it down and show how it's done literally every step by every little step. Um, and I worked on automating a bunch of things that um, make it easier for me to scale without necessarily having to hire a bunch of staff right away. So um, I can be a lot more efficient in my company. Um, I also did hire my first agent. Oh, good. <laughs> good news. So straight commission yeah. agent or salary type agent? Uh, no, it's, a, it's an agent, a regular commission agent. Cool. Um, yeah. he's, he's doing property management also. Congratulations on the brokerage. That's a big step. I did the exact same thing you did uh, back in 2009. I left Keller Williams after being a straight real estate agent there for six years, whatever it was, and said, okay, I'm going to go in a different direction. I left Keller Williams, which is they're a great organization. Started Larson Properties. It, it kind of morphed into more sales. Started getting into property management a couple of years later in roughly 2011, and then have grown it ever since. And, you know, transitioned into, into what we call RentWorks a, a year and a half ago. But yeah, just what you did, I've been there, done that, and I give you a lot of credit because it, it <laughs> took me, I mean, I'm not special or anything like that. I'm just saying it took me a lot of soul searching. And I, you know, this was in 09 after the kind of the crash thing happened. And, you know, I'll never forget that conversation. It was such an awful deal. Uh, so I went into the Keller Williams office and I sat down with a team leader at the time and I was, you know, telling them, you know, how do I do that? You know, should I go a different direction? So I'm thinking about doing this. And the whole while the, the team leader sitting there texting, I'm not going to name names, but texting, texting, looks up, hire an assistant. 
goes back to texting, texting, texting. Are you kidding me? That's your, that's my secret to success is hiring an assistant. That's how I'm going to, you know, get over the top of this thing. And I was like, okay, this is, this is not the place I need to be. It's time to go start my own thing. And I'd rather fail on my own than hang somewhere else under a, a, somebody else's flag and take bad advice like that. So kudos to you for doing that. Sorry for the side story you could care less about. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Um, and mine is a, a little bit different because I, I got my license pretty much knowing that I wanted to start my own brokerage. And I got in Nevada, we have a um, regular salesperson's license and what's called a broker salesperson license and then the broker so I went straight to the broker salesperson license, which just means it just means that you pass the education and testing requirements already. You had to um, put in the time mm -hmm. to qualify to be a broker and then pass the financial requirements. Um, so I planned it from the start and I knew right from the start that that's what I wanted to do. And I, I went to a broker who would um, you know work with me on that and let, you know, let me take my clients with me when I when I left. Um, so that's a little different. <laughs> um, but I did learn a lot from that broker and I appreciate all that I learned from that um, because it, it did give me a lot of direction on, on what I wanted to do with my own company. You know, I thought of something just this morning as I was, I was running and I, and uh, I did three miles with Daisy this morning. So I didn't post about it, but I did. And I was listening to Gary Keller called the one thing. And it's, a, it's an audio book called The One Thing, and Gary Keller wrote it with somebody else. And what struck me as being, uh, I just, I've lost a thought. Dang it. What struck me this morning? <sighs> the One Thing. The One Thing. I'm such an idiot. I can't remember what I was going to say. Uh, okay. I'm distracted <laughs> today. So I'm not oh, going to finish my point. Um, there is something else I wanted to bring up with this Amazon okay. brokerage thing. It was... Um, I got a little off track and forgot about it. But um, one thing that they are doing, I just found last night, um, they've, at least here, I don't know if this is all over the place yet, but they partnered with a local title company to start a, according to the title company, a proprietary um, app, which allows a listing agent to um, connect their listing to this, this um, app so that when they have a, an open house or if the listing is just listed or it just sold, whatever the event is, they can advertise that to the neighborhood to everyone in the neighborhood who has an Alexa uh, thing in their house, the Amazon. Creepy third big brother stuff. Man, <laughs> oh, well, so it'll literally play a recorded message from the realtor can record their own little ad and then the Alexa thing will play it to the people in their house. And so, oh, you know, there's an open house at, at this address on the, this and this time and it'll play the ad in, in your house. <laughs> but to me, that sounds like a really ingenious way to use agents to gather more buyer data. Right. Fascinating, actually, because a little creepy, you know, a little, little <laughs> invasive, but great, a little bit. <laughs> great means of advertising. Now, I, I did suddenly kick my brain into gear and I did remember what that thing was that it was the, the, out of the book called The One Thing. And there's essentially there's no one who is self-made. 
And when I say that, the one person influenced you in a positive manner. Mine was Tony Forcioni, Sterling Group Realty here in San Antonio. I was floundering with another company, a big brokerage company, and I was a six-month rookie. And Tony uh, was a retired sergeant in the army and he, he adopted me basically and brought me over to his little brokerage and had weekly meetings with me and that turned the corner and tony forcione was a guy that made that happen and i'm i'm assuming somebody like that in your brokerage history kind of maybe got you to that point to say okay i'm gonna go on and start my own um no i i pretty much went into it thinking i wanted to start my own Man, um, and that ruined, was that was the plan point. casey you ruined my whole point you're killing my day here you're killing no 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 <laughs> no, the thing that, no, but I learned so much from this broker because he essentially allowed me a lot of um, freedom and kind of allowed me to act as somewhat as my own manager. You know, he, he taught me how to do things and showed me how to do it, but he gave me a lot of responsibility so that the decisions I was making, um, were largely my problem if I screwed up. So, it, you know, he was teaching me how to be my own broker from the start. And um, his wife also taught me a lot about things like compliance and putting together paperwork correctly. And uh, so they, they really taught me so much. And I'm, I'm super grateful that I, I got to work with them um, as a newbie because if I had gone to a normal brokerage, I wouldn't have gotten that kind of training. And, you know, my property management peers, such as yourself and Steve Rosenberg, um, Todd Orchard, um, also Tina Herzog in Oklahoma, um, Erica Lamb in Reno, and a whole bunch of others. If I try to name a ball, it will take way too long. But so many people in our, our groups have taught me so many things um, just here and there. So I really like being a part of all this. It's definitely not just one person. There's, yeah. there's not just one. You, nobody's an island. I, I couldn't possibly have done any of this stuff without help from a bunch of other people. Agreed. Great stuff. So yeah, to wrap this thing up, uh, I look forward okay. to seeing you at our property manager mastermind conference in Vegas in 2020, March in 2020. Look forward to seeing you there. Uh, at least stop in to say hello if you can't make the whole conference, but definitely uh, hope to see you there at that point. And any parting words for the for the team out there? I don't know. <laughs> gotcha. I, I stumped you. All right. I stumped you. All right. Casey, to, to close this up with you, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's neat to see all your posts. And I really, seriously, honestly, sincerely appreciate the secret shopper effort you put into the iBuyer concept because this was a needed conversation we need to hear. And I love your posts. And I think this episode has been fantastic to talk more about that in detail. So again, thanks for your time. Appreciate your patience with me and uh, appreciate it one more time. So thank you and take care. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a good day. Are you tired of chasing tenants to comply with having renter's insurance? Insurance Management Group can solve this problem with a master tenant's insurance policy. Keep tenants in compliance with your lease agreement and help protect all parties involved. A master tenant's insurance policy can also add an additional revenue stream to your business. Contact Derek Scott at 918-728-8992 or visit imgadvisors.com. To learn more, listen to the Property Management Mastermind Show podcast, episode number 36. This show is sponsored by the best home inspection software on the market for property managers. We endorse and use Z-Inspector as our software of choice for our team to document home inspections. 
We particularly like their 360 degrees camera system that produces amazing views of the interior room. Your clients will love Z-Inspector documented inspections you provide them. Visit www.zinspector.com to learn more. This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.